will exult you, Lord, for you have lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I call to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Nick. I hope you've uh, still got your Bibles open to Psalm 30 on page 864 in the Pew Bibles. Also, there'll be a time of questions uh, a little bit later on in the service, so if you have any questions, please do um, make note of them, and, uh, and I'm more than happy to answer them, though I'm a student minister. Go easy on me. Um, so, as I said, please keep Psalm 30 open, but uh, that's not what I'm going to start reading from. So, a blackened sheep stopped us right in the middle of the driveway and eyeballed us. Its feet were badly burnt. The wool on its side was scorched into curly knots, revealing its bloodied ribcage. It was clutching for air, dehydrated, traumatised. Most of the flock had been burnt alive when a bushfire ripped through my farm 24 hours earlier. I gripped my wife's hand and continued driving towards our family home. Two chimneys and a pile of rubble were the sum total of a lifetime of possessions. Her wedding dress, the last few remaining photos of her late father, who had died ten years earlier. All of my baby son's clothes, all of his toys, everything was gone. With the thick smell of everything burning, the sight of everything we'd worked for in ashes and a TV news chopper buzzing around us, my wife erupted. She began screaming uncontrollably, deep, loud groans of pain. Our baby son began bawling in sympathy. At that moment, when everything was falling apart, I looked in the rearview mirror and I said to myself the first thing that came into my mind, I've got this. That's how the best-selling book in Australia, The Barefoot Investor, begins. That book has sold 1.5 million copies. There's only 19.5 million adults in Australia, and it's sold 1.5 million copies. And I reckon those last three words are probably the reason why. I've got this. In three words, that's the promise of the book. To make sure that you can confidently say them in any situation, as the author Scott Pape says, it's about security. It's about security. And isn't that what we all want? The security to be able to withstand anything and depend on no one. 
But can it really be true? Can I really make myself secure? Can you really ever feel secure? In our text today, I want to show you that King David certainly thought that you could feel secure. But security didn't come the way that David expected. In our passage today, David has three things to show us about security. He has to show us that our security fails. He has to show us that you just have to ask. And when we do, he shows us that God's security overwhelms. So, just for something different today, we're going to start in the middle. Because that's where this story begins. Please read again with me from Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 36 and 7. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Now, even from these short verses, you can see the supreme confidence that David had to begin with in his security, can't you? No one can quite agree on when David wrote Psalm 30, but it was almost certainly written once David was well established as king. By this point in his life, he'd outlived Saul, the previous king, who was jealous of him and would attack him just at random, just whenever he was feeling jealous. David has returned the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the Ark holding God's agreement, the Ten Commandments, with his people. He's consolidated his rule over Israel. He's built up a great, great army and defeated many foreign powers. He's married more than once and had children, heirs to his throne. It's quite possible that David's even built his palace by the time he wrote Psalm 30. And you can tell there from the the little preamble to the psalm that he was making preparations for the temple that his son Solomon would build to God. So as security goes, David's built a mountain. His mountain. He says there in verse 7 that God has shown him favour and he's confident that this mountain will stand firm. And this is exactly the kind of security that the barefoot investor is offering us, isn't it? But is this mountain really God's favour? And even if it is, does God's favour entitle David to expect that he will never be shaken? When David says he feels secure, is this a case of famous last words? Because another way of translating security there in verse 6 is prosperity. The mountain is David's prosperity. And God may provide us with prosperity, but look at that second part of verse 7 again. When you hid your face, I was dismayed. When you hid your face, God has withdrawn his favour from David. And dismayed is an understatement. The word there means alarm, agitation, trembling with palpitations. Some say that David wrote this psalm after he took his census. 
And if that's the case, he certainly would have been alarmed, agitated, trembling with palpitations. If you don't know the story, late in David's reign, he decided to count his troops against God's will. I guess because if you want to, secu- uh, want to feel secure, there's nothing better than finding out you've got 1.3 million troops at your disposal. That's an awful lot of security. But having deliberately disobeyed God, a plague came that killed 70,000 people. One of the single biggest consequences for sin that we see anywhere in the Bible. This is what it looked like for God to hide his face from David. And David himself is sick. To the point of death. Up there in verse 3. When he speaks of the realm of the dead and the pit, it's no understatement. This is the language of divine judgment, eternal separation from God. So while David might have wrapped his security up in the language of God's favour, it looks like David was actually trusting his own prosperity. And it's all come crashing down. It's exactly what the barefoot investor is trying to get us to build up, though, isn't it? He's trying to show us how to build up our own little mountain. Sandcastle, maybe. And I'm pretty sure, with or without the book, it's a job that we've all started. We all try and build this little mountain of security around ourselves, don't we? What's in your mountain? Is there education that got you a good job or will get you a good job in the future and keep you there? Is it your career more than just a means to provide for your family, but your identity, the thing that you're known for, that you're good at, that people respect you for, the thing that gives you a great little boost inside every time you earn a promotion? What about good health? Or... The children that you've raised so carefully. Children who perhaps might care for you in your old age. Do you have a tidy super balance? Or maybe you're even privileged enough to own property here in Sydney. That's an awfully big expensive piece of security, isn't it? And like David, you might have even found cause to credit this prosperity to God. Hashtag blessed. Now, don't get me wrong, none of these things are bad in themselves. We should absolutely aspire to care for ourselves and for those around us. That's an entirely biblical concept. But if your prosperity is the only thing that you're trusting in, if prosperity is the only thing that you're trusting your life on, well, as David's found out, On his deathbed, prosperity, self-made security, it stands for nothing. On your deathbed, all the education, career prospects, children, super and property in the world will have no future for you. When truly God hides his face from you, you can't really withstand anything. You can no longer rely only on yourself. You don't got this anymore. Our security fails. 
So we can look at this psalm and we can say that David's gotten it hopelessly wrong. But that's not the end of the psalm, is it? Getting it wrong isn't all that David has to show us about security. Read verses 8 to 10 with me, please, and and see what comes next. Verses 8 to 10. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. David's prosperity has failed. His security was nothing before God. God has turned his face away. And David has lost 70,000 of his people, many from his army. His prestige as a king has been badly damaged. And even if this psalm wasn't written after the census, there were still many other things in David's later life that he came to lose. He lost children. He lost his health. He lost the kingdom to one of his sons for a time. All the things that we build our security around. Family, career, health, identity. But unlike Barefoot, prosperity was not all that David had to turn to. In his bluster, as we read there in verse 6, it might have seemed that way. It might have seemed like David was trusting only in his prosperity. But David is not so dependent on his own security that he won't turn to his God. In the words of Job, another man who God granted both great prosperity and great despair, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. David knows his mistake, his bluster, his self-dependence, his rejection of God. He now understands, he now understands that beyond everything else he has built for himself, every favour that God has granted him, without trust in God, nothing is secure. And I want to highlight verse 9 there as well. What is gained if I am silenced? Now, to our cynical Australian ears, that can sound like David trying to argue his case before God, can't it? You need me, God, we can hear him say in those words. But I think that would be a wrong understanding of what David has to say there. David has been deeply and bitterly reminded of his wayward heart and his need for God. He has turned and sought mercy. That takes courage. That takes humility. David knows that God will save him. He wants to know how he can praise God for this from the grave. How can I tell of your faithfulness, Lord? And so David, for him, all he needed to do was ask. He just had to ask for God's help. And this is true for us too. God has granted us immense prosperity here in Sydney, hasn't he? Especially here in the inner west. You only have to get on the ferry up at the ferry wharf and take it down the harbour to see the prosperity in this place. A piece in the New York Times last year said the reason that the book I read from at the start, 
the barefoot investor. The reason this book is so popular in our country is because it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. We don't need get-rich-quick schemes here in Australia, the article suggested. We're already rich. We're very rich. The median Australian household is wealthier than that in any other country. You mightn't believe this, but we're literally twice as wealthy here in Australia as our cousins across the ditch are in the UK. We're three times as wealthy as the middle American. We don't need wealth in Australia. We need security. But you won't find security in these pages. Not, not security that endures, anyway. No prosperity in the world will prepare you for what will come after death. You can't take it with you. If you want security beyond the grave, you need to do what David did. You need to put aside your pride, look beyond treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You just have to ask. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Turn from all that you have done wrong and just believe. That's it. That's all God asks. And when David's security had failed, we see here in Psalm 30 so clearly that he knew what to do. Our security is prone to fail. It certainly doesn't survive the grave. You might have asked for God's mercy. You might still need to. And if you are ready, please, can I ask, don't wait for a crisis to come before you do. But you might not be ready. You might be asking yourself, what good is the mercy of a God who would take everything away? What good is security if you have nothing left to secure? We've seen what David had happened to him in this psalm. But let me show you. Let me show you how God's security overwhelms. Let's keep reading and we'll go back up to the start. Verses 1 to 5. Where it says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And let's keep reading as well from 11 and 12. You turn my wailing into dancing and removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent Lord my God I will praise you forever now these don't sound like the words of a man who had nothing left do they hear the contrasts weeping may stay for the night but rejoicing comes in the morning you turn my wailing into dancing you remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. Whatever has happened to David, God has more than restored him. 
The pain was real. David was in the realm of the dead. A grown man, a mighty king, weeping and wailing in the face of God's anger and its enormous consequences. But out of it all, David has been shown something far greater than his mountain of security. David has been shown overwhelmingly that in the deepest, darkest place of human crisis, God hears our cry for help and he restores us far beyond what we ever had. The key is there in verse 5. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. God's favour lasts a lifetime. The whole of your life, not just this world, eternity. When you face a crisis in this life, serious injury, redundancy, cancer, divorce, the mountain of prosperity, of security that you've built for yourself, it might see you through. It might not. But in the crisis that you face on your deathbed, when eternity is all that's left to come, your prosperity means nothing. In the face of death, all you have ever had means nothing. But God's mercy means something for those who ask. Because as you draw your final breath, God's mercy still has value for years, for centuries, for millennia, for eons to come. And I know that that can seem hard to grasp when you're in your 20s and you're looking for a job, a career that will sustain you for 60, 70, 80 years. I know it can seem hard to grasp in your 30s when you're trying to secure a house to raise a family in. And I'm sure that it's hard to grasp when you're in your 50s wondering how on earth you'll be able to afford to retire. Or even in your 70s when you're enjoying the fruits of your labour. But let me show you what eternity looks like. What life beyond the crises of this world looks like. The Bible paints the realm of the dead, the pit that God saved David from, like this. Eternity apart from God is an unquenchable fire, a place of everlasting destruction where the smoke of torment rises forever and ever. Now those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and the words of his witness John in the book of Revelation. But eternity secure in God's arms is a place restored, a new heaven and a new earth, a city made of gold and precious jewels, a place where there is no sun because the light of God's glory and the lamp of his son Jesus are enough, more than enough, a place with no more crying, with no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, where everything is pure and there is nothing shameful or deceitful. A place where lion and lamb, where calf and bear, can live in peace and be led by a small child. Again, those aren't my words. Those are the words of the Bible through Old and New Testament. 
And this is why God's security overwhelms. This is why David couldn't bear to be silenced in verse 9. There are too many people that he wants to share, that he needs to share this great news with. If losing everything on earth is what it takes to spend eternity safe in God's presence, overwhelmed by his love and his grace, isn't that a price worth paying? It's what God's Son, Jesus, truly means when he says that we should not store up treasure on earth, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he should know. Jesus should know because it's only by his blood, only because he chose to sacrifice himself on our behalf that we can receive this eternal security from God. Jesus is why God grants us mercy. We don't need anything else. We need him. Now many of you, perhaps most of you here today, have understood this great news for years. But I don't want you to miss the impact of David's response either. If we have received God's mercy, if we are secure in his grace, then this is news that should cause us to rejoice. Look at that face. That's rejoicing. It's news that caused a grown man, a king, to dance in verse 11, to call all his people together to sing praise to God in verse 4. Praise that he couldn't stop singing in verse 12. When you reflect on what you have received, is this how you feel? Have you understood just what God has done for you? It's incredible. Now that's not to say that we're free from struggle, heartache or pain, this side of eternity. We're not. God never promised us that. But when offered an eternity spent in the presence of your God and his son Jesus, why would you store your treasures anywhere else? God's security is overwhelming. How could you not sing with David? So to close, Australia's best-selling book might promise that you'll be able to say, I've got this in any situation. But you just don't. Our security fails. The good news that David has for you, though, the good news that I bring to you today, the good news that Jesus freely offers is this. If you can just find the humility to admit that you haven't got this and the courage to ask for mercy, then God will hold you overwhelmingly secure for all of eternity. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this great promise that you've given us, for this great promise that you've shown to be true in the life of King David. We thank you that your son Jesus died to offer that promise to us, that we might know beyond anything else in this world that we are yours secure for all of eternity.
and that this, this life here that you have given us now, this side of eternity, is the worst that it will ever get for us. That we have nothing but joy to look forward to. God, we thank you for that security. And we pray for anyone here, for anyone we know, for anyone we love who doesn't have this security, that you will be at work in their hearts, that you will bring them to see their need for you, that you might work through us to show them that trusting in you is all they need do. They just need to ask. Lord, please assure us in this. Please help us to grow in our love for you. Please help us to respond in faith. And we pray that those we love might do so as well. In Jesus' name, amen.